Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives as analysts, consultants, or practitioners. We've learned the hard way what works, and maybe what's more importantly, what doesn't. And our focus is on you, the sales enablement leader and orchestrator. As you know, you've got to be mission and goal focused to drive results by design and not effort, unlocking energy and creating momentum and catalyzing change through collaboration. Those are just some of the attributes of being a great orchestrator. And as we continue to advance through COVID-19, we're having to do that a lot more digitally. It's a digital-driven need for orchestrators. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the idea of digital environments and leveraging them to help us orchestrate success. And Scott, why don't you kick us off with a story and introduce our guest. Thanks, Brian. And uh, we're not going to go back very far in history because how far back in history can we go when we talk about digital environments? But what we're going to do is maybe it's more of an anecdote. So in uh, 2017, I started the, the Sales Enablement Society. And one of the things that was really interesting about that is uh, it was all run on my cell phone and through LinkedIn. So the ways of, of engaging what I learned about, how, how people engage, what the techniques are, et cetera, if you just sort of look at LinkedIn as a big collection, sort of like a, a conference or you know, you go to a, a basketball game and you want to talk to people in the stands. If you look at it that way, then use the rules of how you engage others. And that's really what we want to talk about here is we have a, a great opportunity for an awesome topic that requires a good, healthy exchange and, and conversation. But I think one of the things is when we think about digital, why are we treating it as a separate medium? Why don't we look at it as just yet another way that we can have conversations with people? So that's our, our centering story. So, so what? So what? So what does that have to do with sales enablement? What it has to do with being an orchestrator, sales enablement, and thriving in this, uh, in, in this rapidly changing world is to find the sources of insight. Uh, the idea of taking quote unquote best practices and rolling out inside your company is almost silly right now. And this is why conversations are, are more important. And I think one of the things that's really fascinating is when you look at somebody posting something or even somebody who's done a presentation or a keynote uh, presentation or like a webinar, there's always stuff to learn after the fact. And that's really what we want to do here is uh, we've got Greg Smith joining us. And actually what we've, what we've got is... Um, we're really picking up a conversation on LinkedIn. Brian, why don't you, why don't you frame that out a little bit and, I'll, and then I'll introduce Greg more specifically. 
Yeah, that's great. So you guys were having a conversation and, and Greg started it and the, and the title of his post was something like bashing SDRs is cheapening LinkedIn and your own brand. And then uh, he goes through and says, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm seeing. And basically wraps up the post with, um, Hey, uh, hashtag COVID coaching. We're all, we're all new at one point. Let's have some empathy for those starting out during tough times. And then, you know, my favorite part was the last line he had, which is SDRs need coaching, not humiliating. And I thought that was great. And, and this, this was early on in the, in the back and forth. And Scott chimed in and said, hey, I've tried to do what you suggest. And basically, um, he gets um, many scathing, curse word laden diatribes about what a, what a jerk uh, he is. And this is literally, uh, you know, publicly in, on LinkedIn. And so that now, um, here we are, I think about two weeks later in that, and Greg uh, has about 33,000 views on it and many, many likes and shares. So in that discussion, we said, hey, let's carry this forward over to the podcast. And to your point, Scott, this is a, a medium in which a conversation is happening. What we want to do is use this as a bit of a case study for how to engage how to enroll uh, different perspectives, and then also um, what's the value add here? Because as many would agree, uh, arguing back and forth adds little value. However, when you look at what's happening here on this post, there's something valuable going on and what is it? So we're going to bring in Greg on this. And Greg, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. And also, you know, thanks for being transparent and just putting that out there. I, I would love for you to just share your background and and then why did you post what you did? And, and then what was, your, what was your angle on posting that? Yeah, thanks for, thanks for the intro and thanks for having me today. It's, it's good to join with you both. Um, so my current role is, um, is to head up digital offerings uh, for a sales performance improvement company, Imparta, based here in London with a, uh, well, now a virtual presence all around the world, um, whereas we've had offices in the past. Um, I've spent my whole career kind of, well, I started out as an SDR at IBM, and I think that's kind of where the origin of my um, feelings came for that particular post. Um, but since then, I've very much uh, been at the intersection of sales training and sales technology. Um, and so, for whatever reason, and that's just become yeah my forte. And um, I don't know, I think, you know, having worked from home all, all year and, and probably spent more time on LinkedIn because of that, and you know a lot of people having a rough time i just kept seeing people um kind of just just bashing on on young salespeople, you know sharing screenshots of of what they deemed to be a poor uh, prospecting attempt and and sharing that around and i just thought that that's really not helping like right now more than ever i think people just need to kind of put all the the ego and pride aside and just kind of help each other and, and get on with the job because you know we're kind of all in this together i i see our gdp and our recovery as sort of a joint quota um, for us all to be trying to attain. And I think we'd be better served helping each other. Yeah, that's great, Greg. And I, I you know, let's not forget that there's actually buyers and pr potential prospects uh, on LinkedIn as sure. well. So uh, when, the, when the, uh, the sales community starts turning on its own and eating their young, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. um, what does that say for the profession as a whole? Because, you know, LinkedIn is a huge platform. I mean, I'm, I'm not everybody knows that I believe, right? If you did, so uh, this is an interesting, so you didn't, you didn't come back and uh, call people out with your own screenshots. Um, what was the angle on your post? You know, you're talking a little bit about 
something a little bit more aspirational or maybe just your point of view and you put it out there. Tell us a little about that and then what, what happened. Yeah, so it was, um, I mean, first, firstly, you know, disclaimer, I don't purport to be some sort of expert on, or, on these things. I, I just know what isn't so working. So do you have to be an expert to post on LinkedIn though? No, I don't. No, I don't think so. I think it should be for everyone. And I think you can learn something from everyone. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just posted, I didn't expect such a, such a response, to be honest. So there was something like, uh, there's well over 100 comments on there. So I've had to go through all of that. And it was all very positive. And um, if, if someone was challenging, it was in the way Scott was in a really constructive manner versus like, you know, what the hell's your problem? You know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so I found it being really constructive. And um, whereas I probably sounded really down on LinkedIn just now, I think that's, it, it served a, a really strong purpose there to kick off conversations. And so, mm-hmm. um, yes, it was a little cheeky dig at some of the sort of the self-appointed, you know, quote unquote gurus and all of that. Cause you know, I don't really buy into all of that. I think, I think everyone has the right to, to chip in and help, but, um, yeah, yeah, it, it was a little yeah cheeky dig, but also just, a a friendly suggestion from my own experience. Again, I'm just a 33 year old who spent you know, a number of years in this space and just wanted to, to share yes. a, a different perspective. Well, let me break this, uh, this post down and then I'll get Scott's reaction because he posts a lot too. But you say you start with, hey, I've noticed an increase in gurus railing against SDR. So you start with a personal observation and then you, you in your next paragraph, you, you kind of say, look, you know, um, SDRs are working hard. Then, then you say in a third paragraph, I was one. Mm. It's a hard job. It's a beating. And then you, you subtly call for something, you know, a, a little bit more aspirational, which is I would be may, way more impressed if, if they shared a screenshot of them responding with some coaching points, yeah. right? Something a bit more positive and constructed. And, and then, and then a, a challenge. Let's take LinkedIn from a shaming like baiting dumping ground. <laughs> yes, you wrote that. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, and to a place of peer. So this is the, you know, hey, go forward. And then, and then you gave three suggestions. Try this instead. Decline politely. Offer some feedback. And then uh, maybe even follow up with them and see how they're doing 30 days later. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's the post in and of itself. Uh, Scott, what's your reaction to that? And then how would you, how would you um, categorize what Greg did here? Well, I think it, for me, it's more the, the reaction. So first of all, I know Greg and, um, and I like Greg. So it's, it's, I always have the mentality of how can I get somebody's back? Uh, however, there was, uh, you know, a, a lot of what it was saying. I mean, I definitely am anti-shaming. Let's, let's get that really clear. However, um, the idea that me as a buyer should follow up 30 days later to see whether or not they're, they're, they're doing it um, or uh, evolving just isn't, didn't really resonate with that because I actually tried that. Having been a salesperson myself, um, heck, uh, I personally called the, back in the day, I the personally called the CIO of uh, Campbell Soups 80 days in a row. Uh, and left unless various uh, various voicemails. I know what it's like, and I wish that somebody would have told me what's valuable and not valuable. However, when I've tried to do that with, um, you know, I, I can't distinguish whether it's a BDR, an SDR, a digital salesperson, or all these labels that we give to it. It's just somebody trying to connect to me. And when I've tried to give advice or suggestions of of what would resonate with me. 
I've been um, aggressively with curse-laden uh, responses back, um, given feedback. So I'm like, man, you know, it, it kind of goes two ways, uh, right? You have to be the, the individual on the other end needs to be coachable uh, and recognize that they want my time and my money. And if I'm going out of my way to give them some tips on how to be more valuable to me, to uh, call me an a-hole uh, for doing it is, seems to be very extreme. So I just wanted to, I, th I thought Greg's, uh, what I liked about Greg's post or what resonated with me was it's, it, it came off as very authentic. And when I see somebody comment on, on in an authentic way, I can't help but want to engage. So that, I, I just found myself starting to engage and then I'm trying to, comp you know, uh, make sure that I'm being polite and respectful to Greg knowing full well that other people are going to read it, but also offer a different perspective so that we could have a conversation about how we address this issue, which would be the effectiveness of salespeople making contacts with, with folks. So that's, yeah. that was the, the dialogue. The difficulty is words get inter can, can get interpreted in a variety of different ways. How do you have a conversation about it? So I was happy to see more and more people chime in and uh, engage with, uh, with Greg with respect. I'm curious, before we get into the conversation that I want to have, I'm curious what Greg learned from putting it out there. Because I think that's another thing that we're not doing enough of, uh, is learning from the people who put the stuff out there in the first place. Because they have an idea, they're making themselves vulnerable, they're putting themselves out there. What did you learn by uh, putting that post out there, Greg? Yeah, good, good question. Um... Uh, well, first of firstly, it was clear that a lot of people agreed. <laughs> um, secondly, it was um, it was nice hearing that you, you have responded, and, and others said similar things about how you know I've tried coaching, um, and and I think it is unrealistic to do that with everyone, right? You couldn't possibly nobody would have the time um, with the amount of uh, prospecting that's going on to, to get back to all of them. So um, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. Um, but it, I kind of learned that, you know, perhaps there's a failure somewhere. And, and, and in some cases, it's, it's, it's going to be on the individual SDR or BDR, right? So in your case, they just didn't want to get better. Um, I don't know if that's the exception or the rule. Um, I, I, I would lean towards it being an exception. I actually did a, not a follow-up post, but one um, this week about SDRs being mostly Gen Z. And I used to coach some Gen Z uh, university students um, through different uh, sales programs around the US and I, I think they're going to be brilliant uh, because they're curious and they're tough um, and I think they do want to improve and get better so so yes I, I, I completely agree that yeah you're going to try and help some of them and they're just going to burn you and you think well what the hell's the point you know that they, they don't seem you know they're looking a gift horse in the mouth right so um, yeah yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think there's probably somewhere along the line, this is what I think what it, it exposed that there's some, something's broken. Just don't yeah. know what it is. <laughs> yeah. So let me um, offer a bit of a, let me ask you guys. So you're on LinkedIn. Do you guys get um, uh, pinged by SDRs in your roles? You know, yes. <laughs> obviously, obviously Scott, you have, I oh, yeah. have to. So, um, you know, for the last two years, because in prep for this podcast, I, I was going back and thinking, 
The number of uh, people that have reached out to me to fill the top of the funnel with some sort of funnel system, uh, marketing lead gen system to get me leads, et cetera, um, it's probably a hundred uh, times greater than anything that I, that I could actually relate to. Like, for example, I don't, I'm not into filling my funnel. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be more sales driven, et cetera. I, I've had zero reach outs around things that I care about. And a hundred, hundred people reaching out around pretty much the exact same canned message. I mean, it's fascinating to me that a hundred people can reach out with the exact same thing, selling the exact same thing. So um, that's what's happened to me. Um, And I, and I tend to agree with you, Greg, if that's happening, this is a somebody, there's something going on where that's expected. Like that's normal. Um, I would prefer to have somebody engage with me around um, what what I would consider a, a, a bigger challenge of messaging, for example. I don't. So this this is what's happened to me. Do you guys have any stories about trends about how you've been reached out to, and are you seeing the same thing where it's a bit, um, you know, well, the exact I, I have same a different approach? perspective on that, Brian. I don't necessarily think it's an issue of trends. This isn't new. Um, social media allows us to scale behavior, so putting myself in the BDR shoes. So what I liked about Greg's post is, and here's another key point. I think it's incredibly important to engage. If you're not engaging with people, having conversations, there's no way you're going to learn what's going on. So that's a tip to our, to our audience, engage with us, get on the podcast, put yourself out there like Greg is doing right now and having a conversation without any script or any, any forewarning. But what I think is happening is I myself as a rep, once email came, so I'm much older than you, Greg, <laughs> but when email came into place, I was like, wow, this is a great, a much more effective way. I can cut and paste a rap and send it off to 30 people for the time it takes me, you know, that'll take me one minute and in this versus case, calling 30 people. It would take me, you know, 10 minutes, you know, in each this, time. In this case, a rap is a, uh, a scripted email. <laughs> right. Not actually a rap. Not, not M&M practice. <laughs> yeah, that was before, yeah, it was before my dad. So a, a, a story or uh, some hook or, or something. Right. And I would cut and paste and, you know, blast those away before there was email rules and everything like that. Um, or, uh, you know, I got into sending faxes because I didn't think people were checking faxes anymore. Anything to get, mm. to get attention. I think what's different today is that, um, We've gone to LinkedIn and we think LinkedIn is sort of the safe, uh, the safe environment to engage, yet people are using the, um, uh, the in credits to bombard, uh, b- bombard people. Mm. And I think what it, what's happening is that uh, businesses aren't really thinking through the models of all of the different ways to engage. They're just looking at how they, they can spray or um, shoot out as much activity as possible yeah. and without quality, uh, and just activity, what do you do? You harass people and it's almost like, uh, you're getting, you know, in the mid nineties to early two thousands, we had to have legislation to prevent, you know, AT and D and the long distance people calling you in the middle of dinner, mm. you know? So it's sort of the, to me, it's sort of the same thing. It's always been the case. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's a new trend. I think what it is is uh, it's because of the scale of social media, it's just amplified. 
Yeah, I agree with that totally. And, and, and a lot of sales enablement organizations are just so obsessed with the activity metrics. And I've, you know, I was a, an account rep at, I'll just say a software company, I won't name them, but um, although you could very easily find out if you went on my profile, but um, the, um, that they were just so obsessed with the metrics. I found myself kind of stressing about that and it, and it actually sacrificed some more strategic activity. Now I was an account executive, so it wasn't, my, my job wasn't just prospecting, it was part of it. But I, I literally found myself kind of rushing other stuff because I knew that my uh, manager would be um, slavishly looking at the, the metrics and Tableau or whatever to, to, to make sure I'd made my call numbers for that, for that week or whatever. Um, and, and it's that qu- classic quantity versus quality problem that doesn't seem to go away. Now, that is the trend. To piggyback what, what Greg said, Brian, if we want to talk about a trend, that's a trend that I think we should be talking about which is somewhere along the line, 20 years ago, businesses, sales leaders weren't as obsessed with call metrics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Today, the amount of focus of, you know, it, it, it's as if, and sales is definitely a numbers game, but it's not only an activity game. Part of the numbers are quality and not having balance between activity and quality um, and trying to be so simplistic that, that you can run sales on a spreadsheet, that to me is the big challenge and the thing that, that I want to get at. And really what is, un, to, to me, it's sort of like the under the surface challenge of Greg's post because here I am saying, hey, this is a guy I agree with all the time. He's a good dude. I've had a lot of great conversations with him. I How am I how do I have a different perspective of what he put out there? But do I really have a different perspective of what I put out there or is there a system systematic problem going on? And that's what I'd love us to, to be able to talk through. Yeah. And I think um, to your point, what's, what, what's the purpose of LinkedIn then, you know, um, is it, a, it is an amplifier of, and you, what you're talking about, Scott, to me is it amplifies strategies or tactics and scales them. So uh, it, it appears that if this behavior is going on, it's being driven. I, I doubt that SDRs wake up and say, I have to do this. Somebody's coaching them, training them, teaching them to Greg's point earlier. There's probably some sort of um, approach or mandate or, you know, watching the numbers. Uh, but then it, it begs, it does beg the question of what's the purpose of LinkedIn? Isn't it just an, a megaphone? Because uh, that's was that the question, or is the question what is the goal of the BDR, mm-hmm. and is LinkedIn just a tool like a phone, yeah, like a regular email, like a letter, like a fax? Mm-hmm. So I, I'd love to hear, you know, Greg, what what are your thoughts? What is what is the question that we're actually having a conversation about? Uh, yeah, so that's a good question. I mean, I think it's. Well, first, yeah, the question with a good question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think your your point about LinkedIn just being another medium is 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 spot on. It's it's a it's a, another phone or fax or a letter or, or physical cold call, isn't it? So it, it's being used for that activity, and then it, it, I don't know. But then some people are trying to coach through it, but then the coaching often seems more self-serving. Hence my post, right? The screenshot thing, and you know, it's more about the person posting it than about the people he's. Uh, smashing or trying to help um 
and and i yeah so i i think it's exposed the lack of kind of first click resource for for young reps to to use as their kind of learning center their tribal learning center right mm-hmm. and i think some of the best sales training i've had and you know i i work for a sales training company and you know we have amazing material and we we do some really great things and and there'll always be a place for that and and it's very formal right you, you kind of go through the workshops and everything um, but the sales training doesn't stop. It's ongoing. And, and so some of the best little tips I've had have been just that they've been kind of ad hoc conversations with people, you know, uh, with my dad or, you know, driving a car or some rando I sit next to on a plane or something like that. I've learned random little things and they stick in my mind because that's yeah. how we learn. And so there doesn't seem to be a place virtual or otherwise that fosters that environment of peer to peer learning. Um, I know we're getting into it with the sort of advent of LXPs and, and that's something I'm designing right now um, with Imparta, um, but but we're just not there. And so LinkedIn's sort of all we've got. Um, it's just the, the first place to go right now. But uh, you know, I, I see LinkedIn's position actually being disrupted because it's not serving the peer-to-peer coaching function the way a lot of content producers think it is. Is that fair? I don't think I answered your I think question. That's, I think that's perfectly fair. I think part of the difficulty that we've got with these topics is that we don't have the vocabulary to describe them. I mean, you know, imagine, you know, Ben Franklin didn't just say, boom, here's electricity, right? <laughs> I mean, they, they, they used to talk about ether and things like that just to try to describe this thing before scientists came around and actually gave it a label that everybody could could use. Mm. We're struggling with that uh, uh, big time. So I think part of what we can do, Greg, you talk a lot about self-enablement, right? So mm-hmm. talk, talk to me a little bit about what self-enablement is, and then I'll share a perspective of m- my lens, which is systems thinking. Um, and maybe we can put the two ingredients together and make take your chocolate and my peanut butter and come up with a Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my, my self-enablement thing it it came out of reading a book actually called new power which is about sort of flattening of organizations and um it, it gives examples of of trends and movements and, and kind of purposeful business and things like that but it, it spawned from that that especially my generation and below we're, we're kind of we're not quite so interested in hierarchy and elites um i don't really care where an, an answer has come from unless as long as it's sort of socially validated and it makes sense for me and it's easy to digest i mean if you googled something like you maybe you're in excel and you, you don't know how to do a pivot table so you go and google how do i do a pivot table the first thing that comes up is probably some really grainy recording from some kid in you know i don't know north dakota and it, and, it, and it's got a million likes or, or views or whatever and it's really helpful and it, it doesn't matter it's not Bill Gates in a studio telling you how to do it. Do you see what I mean? We, we sort of don't care as long as we get to the answer. We kind of, we're more open to trusting people who weren't normally seen as authorities on, to- on topics. And so the self-enablement thing was more around like, we're getting only so much from the official sources of training and coaching. I need to get to the next level. I kind of need to take control of that myself um and there are you know we're seeing with like the MOOCs right um all these courses where you can kind of take over your own learning path and and go and opt in to take those things yourself regardless of what your company is doing and so i think we're going to see more and more of that um and 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 so that's where i came up with this this phrase self-enablement i actually used that very casually on a phone call with um robert peterson who's a sales professor i know you know him uh scott um yeah 
from northern illinois and and he went wild he's like oh my god i love that he's like go buy the domain so i was like because it was available and i was like okay so i now have a website called selfenablement.com and it's just for my content but um that that's kind of the origin of that I, I, and i and i think it's going to become more and more of a trend and what's interesting about that is um my my lens and my perspective is more sort of the system uh However, I am equally mistrustful. I'm a Gen Xer, and Gen Xers were, are also mistrustful of authority. Uh, mm. However, um, or authoritative figures. However, it, it, you know, I think we kind of become cynical, you know, mm. uh, about it, and maybe less uh, le- less optimistic. And I think part of our our difficulty is embracing some of these new mediums and being open minded to address them. So I think part of our, part of our difficulty, it, Greg, is um, I can't have a team of ten people whom all are doing their own thing. Sure. Right, because what happens is we don't get any leverage, we don't get any economies of scale. Um, uh, I can't simplify that that process. So what's the balance between self enablement, where you're going literally? to some guy in North, North Dakota that there's no way I can know what the heck he's, what he, what the heck he's telling you versus things from our top reps that we know are proven and are working. So how do we create this balance between the system? You know, let's, uh, let's create a team. So, you know, football, English football instead of American football (laughs) is, you know, people have to play their parts, but they also have to be dynamic and anticipate also, right. You're, expected as a midfielder to develop yourself personally, but you're also expected to develop as part of a team. Yes. How do you do that in a, in a world where we, we really haven't been taught in business to be a team contributor. Uh, we've been taught to be individual contributors. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm hoping it's a hypothetical question because I'm not completely sure because that, that certainly is the challenge. I think it's about, you know, how, how do you find that balance of letting yeah. people find their own, yeah. Uh, well, I think that, so that's what we're going to get Brian to comment on that uh, later. Okay. That's what he's been researching on. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think in terms of where I'm coming from is I think that as a leader, my responsibility to set my team up. So if, if you're representing an individual BDR, for example, and we have a high degree of poor BDR engagement, Mm-hmm. which by the way, the statistics, I don't have any statistics on BDR engagement. I do have statistics of what executives think of sales people and it's poor. Um, only 11% of executive buyers think that their interactions with sellers are good or valuable. Is that on the salespeople? I don't think it is. I think that's on the system. So I'm, I'm an advocate of system reform, yeah. uh, which says, look, we can't be, um, training our salespeople to know everything that there is to know about our products and nothing about the role of the executive or what they care about. And I, uh, so I think we've got this, this question, this quandary, which is how do we highlight what's good and what's bad if, the, if most reps are, are delivering a poor, are, are engaging executives where they're not adding value to the person that they're trying to sell to, the person that they're trying to sell to isn't going to give them the time to actually have a conversation in the first place. That's one side of it. On the flip side of it, to your point, Greg, um, it takes a lot of courage to make those calls in the first place 
And I know because I've made those calls before what it feels like. Mm. So how do we balance the feeling of, you know, you're, you're literally, your job is what 90% rejection. Um, (laughs) (laughs) How do we do that in this, in this world where everything that we hear is about how crappy we are? How do I create an environment of positivity? But then also, how do we make sure our design point is on adding value to the people that we're trying to connect to in the first place? Whose responsibility is that? Is that the leadership or management's responsibility? Or is that your responsibility as a self-enabled person? Yeah, (laughs) another another good one. And I think it's both. I think there's an element of responsibility. I think... I think a lot of the issue with like the BDR role is the role itself. Um, You know, Brian and I talked about this the other day about how, at least from my perspective, like when I started with, with IBM, it was coming out of the 08 recession. I graduated December 08. So I remember reading in Forbes that that was the worst time ever to graduate. Um, And I I kind of had odd jobs here and then. And then I finally started with IBM and what they had clearly done because they hired us to be account reps. But by the time we finished global sales school, we were BDRs. So they'd sort of created this role while we were in training and they'd clearly taken reps that would manage the entire sales cycle they'd laid them off because they cost a lot they'd been there for 25 30 years and they chopped up the sales funnel and they gave us the top of it only and it was we fell under marketing because and i think it was just because they needed more leads right um had very few tools very little to no coaching or, or anything um that, that role by nature is going to be your 90%, 90% rejection. It's going to be miserable because it's a pure numbers game. Mm-hmm. But I th- as I moved you know, into more senior sales roles, the, you, the, you, the, the more of the sales cycle you manage, I, I think the, the more inclined you are to get better yourself because it isn't just a pummeling every day. You see what I mean? So I think we're going to see those different roles start to come back into one. I think the whole it's going to contract. I don't think we're going to see the massive armies of BDRs for much longer. I think we'll start giving them actual quotas. They'll become account reps. So they'll be doing both functions. Um, and, and so I, so, uh, so that's also easier to coach to. So I think, I think by changing the structure of the different sales roles, it will, it will empower or it will keep the BDRs themselves more interested and more motivated um, and, and it will give more touch points for management to coach to. So it's kind of a third element there, right? You've got the management, you've got the reps themselves, but you've also got what the actual remit of the job is. I think that needs to have a, some, some fresh eyes on it as well. Would you agree? Oh, I totally agree. So uh, let me give you some, some color. So I've been a management consultant um, for, uh, for quite some time. And one of the things that um, a lot of people don't do a lot of companies don't do is actually just audit how many sales roles they have. Mm. And I've worked and done this analysis and people say, Oh, we don't need to do that. We already know what our roles are, et cetera. I'm telling you, you don't as a company, you don't Um, flat out. I'm telling you, and it's because you haven't done the work, but one company that's uh, people would call blue chip company. We don't want to expose it because we don't want to uh, shame anybody. (laughs) Um, that was a pun intended there. Yep. Right? <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, we analyzed the, we took the, the number of reps that they had. In this case, it was 20,000 directly from their annual report. The first wave of feedback was the sales operation said, that's not the number. Our headcount is different. I said, well, 
let's reconcile here. You said 20,000 in your earnings, earnings calls, right? Uh, in your annual report. So we went and uh, correlated that with the HR and finance data. And sure enough, they do have 20,000 reps. And then we did some more analysis and realized that they had 525 different roles for for sales. Now tell me how anybody is going to get any kind of sense around what's happening. And then when you start um, looking at all these patterns, what's really happening are a lot of people are saying that the entire sales process isn't working for them. So anybody's really hiring a role and heck inside your company, you got folks that are super smart. So you come up with jobs like evangelist and stick it in the business unit. (laughs) Um, And then they get a, they get a quota uh, to help justify the payment of it, but people aren't adding up all the quotas because that's just not happening. So I think what, what part of the difficulty is, is that in this um, view that more is better, we think more roles are better. So we can assign a number to it. So therefore we chunk out responsibilities so micro that they can't really add value. So to your point, Greg, if you're a BDR and your job is to only throw a lead over to a salesperson, what kind of empathy are you really going to have as part of your job for the customer? Do you really yeah. care? Yeah, probably Is your job just, you know, a number of, you know, warm leads or marketing qualified leads or sales qualified leads yeah. or all these other detailed metrics. So I think your point is, is really well, uh, well spot on. I'll add one other point here with, with my soapbox here is um, what's been very fascinating is when you do the work and you show, look, you can move some of your customers to a digital support center where people don't need to go and visit them. You can manage the whole sales cycle end to end with this class of people. We're not saying that's for all of your customer types, but this customer type, it can be done. Here's how it can be done. The, the resistance of sales leadership is massive because they say, no, it can't, even though you, you can show all the proof there is. So I think part of the difficulty that we, we run into, Greg, is, is what's the system view? What's the structure? And then also, um, what's the role of the individual people? So I think your observation there is spot on. Um, what do you think of, uh, what do you think of that? Are, are you aware of, uh, you know, all the role prolifer- proliferation? Uh, I, I mean, to a degree, I had no idea a company could have 500 types of roles within sales. I mean, and, and you know, your, your point about this, the evangelist, you know, the, the, I see that and I see like, you know, growth hacker or revenue strategy, you know, these sort of wishy-washy titles and, um, and, and yeah, and they all seem to, um, they, they all seem to claim the same deals. Like I remember back at, um, at Forgive the sirens in the background. I'm in the city here, but um, I, I remember it, it, with with IBM, they used to use Siebel back in the day, and you'd have like ten or so different people claiming quota relief from one deal, yep, because their name was in a different part of the sales process. So I was the opportunity identifier, so I, my name had to be in that field, and then there was the owner, a tech rep, the brand rep, whatever it was. And sometimes someone would have done absolutely nothing. Um, and I knew of uh, people on my team, and I won't name and shame them, but um, uh, you know, w- one of them, his dad worked at the same company, and he had his dad just put his name on a deal that yep. he was going to close. And it's, <laughs> they were, it was like insider trading. I mean, they're just fudging numbers in CRM. Um, it, it was 
it was kind of crazy. Like, yeah, all, all these different people claiming the same deal. Um, yeah, complete mashup. But yeah, yeah, I had no idea you could have 500 plus sales roles within the same organization. So when you look at this, let me, let me jump in real quick on, on the, just to connect some dots, right? So on one hand, you have the system view, and that's not tech system, technology system. It's kind of an ecosystem view that Scott has, which is sales and marketing are the same, you know, two sides of the, of the same coin. And we've talked a lot about the commercial ratio uh, as, an, as an indicator of that. So if you want to, you know, learn more about commercial ratio, go to commercialratio.com. And then you've got self-enablement, which is um, in, in the era of today, uh, rooted in what would really be considered hyper-specialization, right? Um, back, in, back when I came into to the business world, I believe that silos were like sales and marketing and service. Those were how I defined silos. Mm-hmm. Now you've got marketing is so siloed. There's, you know, 15 different types of marketing and 12 different types of um, you know, customer service, <laughs> uh, and then uh, IT, I, I don't even know, what, 50 different? I don't know. There's Everybody's got a hyper-specialization and uh, even, you know, certificates, degrees, et cetera. So uh, in, in that view, um, bringing it back to LinkedIn, this is where I, I get fascinated because uh, when, you, when you look at this, um, what's happening on LinkedIn? Is it the hyper-specialized view? Is it the ecosystem view? And then to Scott's point earlier, where's the conversation? Mm. Um, and and uh, when you look at LinkedIn as a reflection of what's happening in business, it's simply a, you know, an amplifier of what's happening in business. Uh, a lot of the challenges that are happening on LinkedIn with irrelevant messages, um, everybody declaring everybody else is a moron, um, people saying, here's my answer to everything. Those that look for help get pounded on. Um, those that put out anything uh, that's ca- contrarian to, the, to other people get, you know, piled on, um, even flamed. Um, you know, I wonder if that's happening within business. I wonder if that's what's happening within departments and functions and teams, right? And my guess is um, that it is because I've seen it. So, I just wanted to tie this back, this conversation. We're having a, a dialogue about, um, you know, the role proliferation and, and, and how this shows up on LinkedIn. And, and Scott, one of the things that's really fascinating to me is we started with, uh, you know, the SDR space and what's the, what's the role of an SDR and how can that be, you know, unwound and uh, really get complicated. And then, you know, what's the role or, or what's the, what's, what is the, what is LinkedIn's uh, you know, it's a mirror in, in, in what's happening. I'd love to hear, you know, what your take is on that. And, you know, I'm just trying to connect some dots here and synthesize what I'm hearing across this conversation. Uh, what, what do you think about that? And are, are you seeing anything else uh, maybe a little bit different than what I'm seeing? Well, I think um, if, if we were to take a step back and instead of focusing on LinkedIn or social or new roles or new things, and just take a step back and look at human nature, it's no different. So the things that, in a state of change, the tendency of human beings is to go to the herd, right? I mean, we're biologically designed to be parts of tribes and our brains are not set up to deal with change and our brains are certainly not set up to deal with rapid change. So just like um, 
you know, hey, hi, I'm Galileo. I'm going to make the observation that the world actually revolves around the sun. Well, guess what? Uh, that almost got him killed by the Inquisition, you know, in the, in the 1600s. Now today, everybody sort of accepts it because there's a lot of proof behind it and a lot of people did the work. I think what's challenging here is the rate of change that's happening, uh, what the buying selling dynamic looks like is happening so rapidly that and businesses are so siloed in how they look at it and people are um, specialists in their own fields. We're not taking a step back and saying, hey, what's the overall environmental change that's occurring? So I think if we look at um, LinkedIn as a mycosm of human nature, we're going to see whatever we want to see. Uh, and I think what Greg po posted is a observation, um, you know, in the scientific process, hey, I have made an observation. And then being an, another scientist, I'm commenting on that observation and saying I observe something similar, but through a different lens. And we have the capacity of human beings to connect all these dots together. That's what we're advocating uh, with regards to orchestrators. Uh, so that's what I that's what I perceive as as going on. I think it's yeah. way too easy to zoom too much into the details of make it all about LinkedIn. Um, we're human beings; we can make LinkedIn to be what it does. Greg can choose to ignore or whatever what the posts are. I can choose to engage with Greg, or I can choose not to. The choice is ours. I think the issue is we need to spend a lot more time meaning or understanding, which is where I really resonate a lot with Greg's uh, self-enablement part. Maybe, Greg, an idea for you would be a self-enablement set of tools to help people navigate such a complex world, a VUCA world. So one of the things that's popping in my mind then on that in the VUCA world, which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, we talked about that on an er earlier episode, What's popping into my mind, Scott, when, I, when you talk about the human nature of this is the idea of bias. And I see a lot of what would be considered confirmation bias on, on LinkedIn, which is basically you look at stuff with the purpose of interpreting it uh, to confirm your own belief structure or, or what you believe is true. You will, you will look for it and point out uh, what confirms what you believe is true. And, um, Greg, on, on that view, the VUCA environment requires people to be uh, really clear on what their biases are and then also uh, what problem they're trying to solve. The challenge that I have with, um, you know, and we talked a little bit, Scott talked a little bit about it, is um, the idea of self-enablement or this hyper-specialization. You end up in a space where you actually, people can actually not know what they don't know. And this is an interesting phenomenon that I myself have gone through. I thought I knew a lot uh, and it took some, some uh, productive friction to get me out of my, my comfort zone and, mm. and to think, you know, break down some of the confirmation bias that I had. And that's not happening as much. Um, the curiosity, the idea of let me, ex let me just explain for a minute here and, and the immediate, you know, response that people get um, with their confirmation bias, it really makes it hard to navigate a complex world, which is, you know, interrelated parts, for example. So, you know, I would just throw in on what Scott said, a toolkit around VUCA, but also a toolkit around decision-making and problem-solving, 
which is really related to this idea of you got to you got to think broadly. What news do you get? Do you read the same news sources every day? Um, when you're on LinkedIn, are you um, curious about what other people post? Do you look for new groups to join? Uh, or are you in a routine that really is your own bubble? Um, so that's that's part of what I'm seeing here on LinkedIn is a lot of that yeah. justification for things. And, and I'd love your take on that too. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a, a really good a really good point actually because you, you will just gravitate to the the same sort of LinkedIn echo chamber that you, that you look at every day um so, so i really like that and i like and therein lies the problem of tools like linkedin as learning and coaching is that they're not combined with the doing and and so you were going into this learning in the flow of work trend like i mentioned before and you've probably seen josh burson's work on that and it, like the, the the platform like i'm working on that right now with imparta um is designed to sort to, to dish up content and ideas and coaching tips in a variety of different formats based on activity so you might be presented with some content that you wouldn't have gone looking for because we're going to tie it into the doing so it's monitoring what you're doing and and so that's and obviously i'm going to have speaking of biases i'm, I'm going to be very much um towards uh tech as as the solution here but I think once we get an intelligent LXP kind of platform in there that's, that knows what I'm doing, can pick up on my competencies and, and how good I am at particular areas of sales and suggest and course correct from there, I think that's how you get around the bias of um, maybe only going to the same sources of information every time. Yeah. Um, but of course, that requires a library of content that is wide right and, and varied it, um, the, the the training hasn't just come from one source it's come from peers it's come from the wider world it's come from companies like Imparta and it's come from internal sales enablement organizations does that make sense yeah absolutely and I love what you did there you published your bias and said I'm going to come at this from a tech angle yeah, exactly. and then because we're having a conversation I have no idea what an LXP is Oh, so a learning experience <laughs> platform. So, um, so the learning in the flow of work is one of these terms that's been getting thrown around a lot. And, and I love it because, you know, for, for years I've talked with people within my network about bringing the learning and the doing together, right? We learn as we do. You don't just sort of learn a bunch of things in, in a classroom and then go do. The results are norm, normally quite weak there. You, you, have to, you have to constantly be tweaking. And so LXP is designed to aggregate learning concepts from all different sources and put it into your place of work, i.e. within the flow of work. Scott, what, what else are you seeing and uh, what dots do you, are you connecting here on this type of podcast? So number one, I'm going to try to break this down into, into different categories. Number one, what I learned from this is a lot of how important self-enablement is and it's not just for BDRs or salespeople, it's for everybody involved in the ecosystem. So what I'd, I'd be willing to, to do, Greg, is I'm such a big advocate of, of what I learned here today. I'd be happy to devote some time to help, uh, help build that out. Because I think mm -hmm. the world that we're in, because it's changing so much, all of us need tools and new ways of looking at things. 
So in order for us to un unpack a conversation, for example, many of us have been conditioned to think about the analysis. Okay, so what's the point of this? What, you know, what are my takeaways? Tell me what to do. And it doesn't work that way. You know, it, it, in the world that we live in, you have to be able to think for yourself. So I, I think um, uh, a lot of those attributes and uh, a word that you said that really resonated with me a lot is the curiosity part. How do you create curiosity for people who've been bludged into, you know, trying to think about metrics? So that's one area. So since I've actually sort of called you out and offered that, what are your thoughts on um, um, sort of maybe expanding the, the scope of what self-enablement means to, to say, how do, I, how do I navigate such a complex world? Yeah, I'm all, I'm all for it. Cause like, I think with a lot of things and well, a lot of the way I think I, I come up with things like that and it's all just, uh, just this jumbled up thought in my head. And these things are much better if you can sort of, um, get, get an adult in the room and then put some structure behind yeah. it, behind it and, and, and crowdsource as many ideas as possible. Self-enablement is not a business. It's not for anyone individually. I think it's a, it's a movement and a trend and, even though it's got the word self in it, the idea is it's about the crowd. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm actively seeking further conversations with, with people around that. Okay. So I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm all <laughs> in to help. So the second thing that I thought was really valuable here, and I wanted to provide structure, uh, maybe we can, maybe Brian, we can make a little webinar uh, for this for our listeners. So if you're insider nation, your responsibility is sales enablement, and we're asking you to be orchestrators. So let, let me go through. We have a six-step uh, process of what an orchestrator is, and let's apply it to what we've learned here today. So the first step is to be mission and goal-focused. So if you're responsible for getting a better return out of, say, your BDRs, let's go back to what the, what the t original topic was. Uh, what is the purpose of a BDR? Is it just to – if, if we're saying the purpose of our department is just to generate leads, that's not really aspirational. Uh, maybe if we, if we said our mission is to spark ideas inside our customers to think differently, how much more impactful might that be if that's our mission? The second thing then is the second uh, orchestrator role is uh, prioritize the right goals and at the right moments. So you're going to have to balance any individual salesperson, whether they're prospecting or doing sales, is going to have to balance between volume and quality. I know myself that I've gone way too much on volume and not quality. I've also spent way too much time working on quality, like writing my own thought leadership papers or white papers mm. for customers. How do you provide that balance? And Somebody's got to help you provide that guidance because when you're stuck in those roles, you're going to need, or those thought patterns, you're going to need somebody to guide you. You want that guidance. You want help with prioritization. Uh, you don't want people to hit you with a stick, right? Um, the third point is guides the narrative by confronting reality. Here's the, here's the why I uh, resonated so much with um, Greg's post. Part of, the, part of the perspective of reality is that we're shaming, um, you're, we're shaming people. My perspective of reality is that the details of how poor the, cut, the, the engagements with customers is, is not getting back to the company. Who's right? Who knows? 
But the whole idea is somebody's got to, you, you have to step up and confront the reality and figure out what are the tools that you need, the decision-making tools to confront reality. The fourth one is drive results by design, not effort. So I think we, we talked a lot about that is the, the flogging of salespeople and holding them just to a metric is not is effort. That's not by design. There are many, 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 many leveraged ideas that you can make, uh, you can create more value by concentrating on what salespeople are doing on a day-to-day basis and designing that into the, in, into the system rather than just coming up with new tools and stuffing them on the backs of salespeople. Number five, unlock energy and create momentum. If you're in a role and you have a team that's in a role that's dealing with lots of rejection, you're going to have to recognize that their energy level is very important to manage. And probably when you throw, if you throw out ideas that haven't been vetted, it's probably going to be met with a lot of aggression. Why would it be met with a lot of aggression? It's like, look, I get, I get negative feedback all the time. Can you at least get on the phone yourself and try it out for God's sakes? So part of the way that you can unlock more positive energy is to say, hey, Greg, I know what it's like to be out there. I've done it myself. Here's something that I've worked out with some customers of what's valuable for them. Does this model work for you? And having that attitude definitely will create the right energy because now finally somebody's dealing with things that I'm really dealing with instead of telling me what to do. And then our sixth one is catalyzing change through collaboration. Part of the collaboration needs to be with our sales ops people. Is our compensation model right? Um, Sales leadership, is our structure right? Is the role definition right? Are we having the right fields in place? Is our goal the customer or is the goal something else? There's a lot of ways that you can catalyze change by asking the right questions. So that's, that, those are the characteristics of, of orchestrators of connecting the dots. Then the third thing that came up that I loved, uh, again, uh, I'm going to parrot what Brian said, Greg. I love that you said, hey, I'm leading with a technical bias. In order to pull this together, this is a complex system. And let's remind ourselves of, uh, of the buckets that we have to deal with. One is people. So every person involved in this process has to have um, some sort of self-awareness or self-enablement maybe. The other thing is we have to think through what is our process? Is our process based on just driving activity and spamming people or putting it out there? Or is the goal of our process to have people with a, um, wow, I never thought of it that way. I'd love to talk to somebody about that. What is the purpose of our process? The next category would be technology. Technology should serve our process, not technology for technology's sake. So we should know what role, why we have our people, what our processes are, so that we can have technology to scale it. And then finally, what information is required so that we don't overwhelm people with too much information, but make sure that we've got the right information so that uh, the people engaging in the process that information can be loaded in the technology so we can scale that. So those would be my three, uh, my three takeaways. Great. Thanks. And uh, Greg, thanks so much for joining us. Do you have any uh, uh, last uh, comments before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think that was really great. And uh, I liked yeah, the, the three points there at the end. Um, I guess from, from my point of view, it's just to, you know, to kind of cap off with, 
with more positivity um yeah you know so much of the messaging is just is everyone just smashing each other over the head um and and it's not to help people it's to make them look and feel better for a moment um and again i posted something this week about sdrs um because most of them right now will be gen z by nature and having worked with them you know i I think we're in a good spot i think you know in the same way that i graduated into a recession these guys are graduating into a pandemic and we'll start to see um just how gritty they are um and they'll smash all the stereotypes the same way that my generation has for the most part and so I, i think there's uh, reasons to be cheerful as they were as they say um and so yeah i just encourage anyone listening to sort of really embrace that group don't sell them short we're just dumping them in a bdr role for years and years um give them more responsibility um and uh yeah Craig, i want to piggyback on that point uh about positivity what's really challenging is the english language that we inherited from you guys and the queen. Uh, You're welcome. You're, yeah, exactly. Is uh, two th- It has two-thirds more negative words than positive right. words. So the palette that we have available with us to communicate in a positive way is already one-third limited, which means we got to do a lot of work for it. And the other challenge then is when people lead, you know, everybody knows Hey, to give people feedback, say 10 nice things before you tell them the thing you really want to tell them. Everybody's heard that before. So mm. if you're just leading with nice things with the goal of giving them the coaching feedback, then none of the positive feedback is going to land. And we have to learn how to get really, really good at providing positive, constructive feedback. Because our brains are so wired to be defensive and um, you know, process the negative, like, oh, what are they really telling me? And we're cynical <laughs> about it. Yeah. How do we really work hard to provide that positive feedback? So I think your your point there is spot on. We could do a whole podcast just on that. Yeah. So I agree with that completely. Um, uh, Brian, why don't you uh, wrap us up and take us out here? Yeah. Good job, everybody. Good job on the podcast. Good, great work. Um, I'm just I'm being positive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the uh, and, and that's that two thirds comment, Scott. That's that's amazing, right? Um, two thirds more negative words. So th- th- just remember that, everybody. Also, um, think through uh, what this means to you. I think this idea of self enablement. We probably helped you with that today, and Greg for bringing that up. Thanks, thanks so much for bringing that up. And uh, really think through your biases as you engage with others and be more curious. Uh, so as always. Give us the feedback, send us a note, engage with us on on the site. Uh, Also, go back and listen to some previous episodes. Uh, We're seeing a a, a lot more traffic on some of our earlier episodes. Thank you so much for sharing with uh, others who are perhaps new to sales enablement or in the middle of a job change. Uh, We're getting a lot of feedback that this is helping people in their interview process as well. So thanks. Thanks for that feedback, and that's that's great to hear. So on behalf of Scott and Greg, um, we'll see you on the next one, and take care. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, please make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea of what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at orchestratesales.com. You can also connect with them online by going to orchestratesales.com, following them on Twitter, 
or sending them a LinkedIn connection request. 